Hi there. Thanks for joining me today as we continue our series of messages from the first half of the book of Acts. And we've got to chapter 12. I love the story in chapter 12. I'm wearing my best shirt for it. Right? Lissy actually did a great devotional on it this past week. But it's all about power. Who's in power? And I know some might worry about governments and leaders having too much power, you know, too much control. And many Christians worry about being marginalized, uh, discriminated against, losing all their religious liberties, you know, all legitimate concerns. But when we start to feel powerless, it can cause us to react and we can lose sight of God. You know, we lose perspective. And that's why I love Acts chapter 12, because it gives us perspective. Now, before we take a look, let's just set the scene. At the time, the word of God was beginning to spread. Uh, the church was growing and having influence, even in spite of persecution. In Acts 10, we heard the story of Peter and Cornelius with the gospel being taken to the Gentiles. In Acts 11, we heard how the church was started in Antioch in the Greek-speaking world. And in Acts 13, how Paul and Barnabas were sent out from there on their first journey to take the gospel across Asia Minor. The gospel was spreading outwards in concentric circles, and the church was having more and more influence. But in the midst of all that, there was a very serious setback. At least that's how it must have seemed to the church. So let's just read now from Acts 12 verse 1. It says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, the Passover. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Now, this uh, Herod that we've been introduced to was Herod Agrippa I. He'd grown up in the imperial court in Rome and was very friendly with the Roman emperors Caligula and Claudius, who gave him territory to rule over. And so he became king over Judea and most of Palestine. In fact, he was one of the most powerful kings in the East, following in the footsteps of his grandfather, King Herod the Great. But he was despised by the Jews. Uh, not just because of his connections with Rome, but because he wasn't Jewish. His family were descended from the Edomites. And so throughout his reign, Herod tried hard to curry favor with the Jews. He wanted to be popular. He wanted their support. And one of the ways he got it was to persecute the Christians and try to limit the influence of the church that was seen as a threat to Judaism. Uh, he went after the main leaders, James and Peter, both apostles of Jesus. This was political. He had James beheaded, and then when he saw that it pleased the Jews, when he saw how much they supported his actions, he had Peter arrested as well, intending on bringing him out for this show trial that would have ended with his execution. Now, imagine being a Christian during this time of crisis. How oppressed and threatened you would feel because of the actions of this governing power, right? The outlook for the church must have seemed pretty bleak. Of course, this wasn't the first time that Peter had been in prison. Uh, the Jewish leaders had arrested the apostles in Acts 5. And on that occasion, they walked free because an angel had opened the prison doors. God had intervened. But this was Herod, 
a far more powerful enemy, a far greater threat to the church. Herod's grandfather had murdered all the male infants in Bethlehem. His uncle had beheaded John the Baptist. And now this Herod had just executed James. Where was God then? Right, surely Peter was next. If it was us in their shoes, I'm sure we'd feel powerless against the might of Herod and the Roman Empire. So how should we respond then? Right, what did the church do in Acts 12? Well, let's read what it says next in verse 5. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. What we see here is a clash between two kingdoms, two powers, two communities, right? So we have the world on one hand and the church on the other, and they are arrayed against one another, each one of them wielding an appropriate weapon. That's how John Stott describes the situation in his commentary. On one side, you've got Herod, who is wielding the sword. He has political power. He has the authority to oppress and imprison and put to death. On the other side, you have a praying church, which, as John Stott says, is the only power that the powerless possess, the power of prayer. So what was the outcome? Let me tell you the rest of the story. That very night, before Herod could bring Peter to trial, we're told that a light shone in Peter's cell, and an angel came and stood next to him. Peter was fast asleep, chained between two guards, and another two outside the cell door. So the angel woke Peter up, and his chains fell off. Get up, says the angel. Get yourself dressed. Follow me. So Peter did, though Luke says he wasn't sure if he was dreaming or not. Right? It seems he was still half asleep. But they passed by all the guards and through the iron prison gate that kind of opened before them. They went outside into the city where the angel left Peter at the end of the street. And it was there that Peter came to his senses, realized what had happened, that God has sent an angel to rescue him. So he went to a house that was probably used by the church for their meetings, where many had gathered to pray for Peter. And the scene there that Luke describes is actually quite hilarious. Uh, because Peter kind of knocked on the door and a girl called Rhoda went to answer it. And when she heard Peter outside saying, it's me, Peter, instead of opening the door for him, she's so happy, she ran back to tell the others the good news. It's Peter. Peter's here, she says. But of course, Peter is still outside knocking on the door. Meanwhile, they start having a debate inside the house because they think Rhoda's out of her mind which is ironic because they've just been praying earnestly for Peter's deliverance. And she's trying to tell them, you know, our prayers have been answered, but they don't believe her. It must be his angel, they said, whatever on earth that means. Anyway, poor Peter is still knocking on the door. And when eventually they let him in, they're amazed. And of course, very happy as he told them what had happened. It's quite the story, isn't it? John Stott said this, he said the dramatic details that Luke includes all seem to emphasize the intervention of God and the passivity of Peter. Peter was asleep. The angel had to nudge him awake. Peter himself didn't know if it was all fact or fantasy, reality or a dream. I was thinking about that, you know, Peter being asleep. On one hand, Peter could well have been at peace. I mean, I doubt that he was worried about facing death. In fact, he knew one day he would die a martyr's death. Jesus had prophesied it. And I'm sure Peter was ready to go and be with his master at any time. 
So even though he was in prison facing execution, he could sleep the sleep of the saved, as Winston Churchill put it. It's what Churchill said when he heard that Japan had attacked Pearl Harbor because he knew it would cause the Americans to join the war effort. And he says he went to bed that night and slept the sleep of the saved. So it could have been that Peter was not worried. But then on the other hand, one wonders whether Peter should have been praying anyway. Later on in Acts, you find Paul and Silas were put in prison. It says at midnight, they were praying and worshiping. Peter was sleeping. It's kind of uh, reminiscent of when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and asked Peter to watch and pray with him. And three times he found Peter asleep, as he was here. And even when an angel comes to rescue him, leads him out of the prison, Peter is still half asleep, it seems. And you know, I think the church can be like that sometimes. At least I know I can, right? We shouldn't be anxious when we feel we're under attack, when the church is being threatened and the powers of darkness seem to be winning the day. We should have peace and have confidence in the outcome. We can sleep the sleep of the saved because we know that Christ has won the victory. But that doesn't mean we should be passive. In fact, confidence about the outcome should lead us to pray all the more for his kingdom to come now. Jesus doesn't want to find us sleeping when he returns. He told us to be alert, to be watching and praying, because we've got a part to play in seeing his kingdom come to earth. And yet, the great encouragement of this story is that even though Peter is sleeping, and even though the church is praying, but perhaps not really expecting their prayers to be answered, God intervenes anyway. This story is not really about Peter or the church. Right? This story is about two kingdoms, two governments, two opposing powers. And it's been written to remind the church throughout history which one is the greater power, which government is in charge, which kingdom will win. The two opposing powers in this story are Herod and heaven. There's the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. There's the earthly governments and there's the government of Jesus. And Luke is telling the story, uh, wanting us to have no doubt right, as to which one has the greatest power. You see, the main point of this story seems to be this. If you oppose God, you will lose. So Acts 12 begins with Herod exercising his power, oppressing the church, trying to stop the spread of God's word. And he seems to be winning. He executes James and tends to do the same to Peter. And as a show of his power, he assigns four squads of soldiers to guard him. He'd normally maybe just have one soldier you'd be chained to. Peter has two, with two more outside the door. And these squads would have worked in shifts to guard this prized prisoner, the head of the church, who was about to lose his head. But the Lord showed Herod who was more powerful by taking his prisoner right from under his nose. And of course, I realize people might say, yes, but... What about James? He was executed. You know, did the powers of darkness win that day? Was the church not praying that day? Did God lose that day? Not at all. The fact that the Lord could so easily rescue Peter right after James had been martyred shows us it was not because he couldn't save James. So why did he die? It was probably because Jesus had said to James, the cup that I drink, you will also drink. He died a martyr's death, as Peter would do one day. It's just that on this occasion, Peter was released. You know, 
God can triumph over darkness through delivering his people, but he can also triumph through the persecution and martyrdom of his people. In fact, there's often a greater power demonstrated when God's people are prepared to suffer and die for him, because it has a, an emboldening effect on the church. And as we have to consider, you know, uh, who we're living for, uh, and as we face the realities of eternity, it's why the church in China has flourished under a communist government. Imagine that. But it's because no matter how much the government has persecuted the church and imprisoned and executed their leaders, the church just grew bolder and stronger and has grown exponentially as the word of God has continued to spread. As they've witnessed God's power uh, with angels and miracles and signs and wonders and tens of thousands being added to the church there every single day. Listen, God triumphed over Herod in both Peter's release and James's martyrdom. God was in control of both situations. We need to hear that. The church in the West needs to hear that. And just in case there was any doubt at all who was in charge, the story in Acts 12 ends with God taking Herod's life. It's the last scene in the story. A delegation of people from the seacoast region of Tyre and Sidon came to Herod to see if they could win his favor because their region depended on it for their food supply. They needed the import of Galilean corn, but for some reason there'd been a dispute. So this delegation came, no doubt, you know, uh, groveling before him, uh, which I'm sure made Herod very happy because he liked everyone to know who was in power. And this is what it says in verse 21. On an appointed day, it says, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, it's the voice of a god and not of a man. They're obviously trying to flatter him, you know. Immediately, it says, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. That's how this ends. God has the last word. God will always have the last word, right? If anyone tries to oppose God, they will lose. Anyone who exalts themselves, seeking power, seeking the praise of men, is acting like a God, and God will have no rivals. That's what this story is telling us. It begins with Herod triumphing, Peter is in prison, James is dead. But it ends with Herod dead, Peter is free, and the word of God is triumphing. And it's been recorded to encourage the church throughout history and throughout the world that when you feel weak and powerless, when it feels like you know, we're losing ground, when darkness seems to be winning the day, and whoever has political power is calling the shots, it's not true. It's just not true. God is in charge. God is in control. God is in power. He will always have the last word, right? Don't ever doubt it. Anyone who opposes God will lose. So let this encourage us to get on with what we've been called to do, which is first of all, pray, keep on praying. Let's not be sleeping. This is a time for the church to be alert and praying and trusting God for the outcome. Secondly, let's be bold in sharing the gospel, the word of God, knowing that as we do, we cannot lose, right? Because God's power will cause it to grow and multiply. And finally, be humble. 
right? Let's not be seeking after power. As Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. God bless you this week.